This is the Culture Jack Show. It's Culture Jack Podcast. Hey folks, welcome to the Friday show here on the Culture Jack Podcast. I'm Dustin. I'll be your host today. And you'll have to forgive me right away because right away I know that my volume's decreased, that I'm that I'm talking very close to the mic and I'm I'm talking to you very close to the heart as well. I'm trying to be quiet because my entire family is asleep as I record this episode in the twilight hour in the last minute before the podcast is supposed to air on Friday, which is the day that you're listening to it. Happy Friday, everyone. I hope your week has gone fantastic. Did you catch it? On Monday, there was an episode of Monday Madness. And Monday Madness this week was focused on the different ways to be a minimalist, to reduce that unwanted, unneeded, and unnecessary clutter in your lives, to be able to focus on those things that are actually actually more important to you. So hopefully you caught that show. If not, rewind time, catch it. And if you don't catch that one, just be prepared because over the weekend, when you come out of that rabbit hole, when you come out of that race, on Monday, there will be another episode of the Monday Madness Show. But for now, you're here on Friday. And today on the show, we're going to be talking again about WandaVision. We just had another episode. Episode three of WandaVision has premiered. And by the time you're listening to this episode, the fourth episode of WandaVision will have also premiered on Disney+. And so that's that's good news because... Some of the predictions, again, that we make this week for or today for today's show, you'll be able to see if they are true or not the day of. And you'll be able to see how well we did the previous week. So that'll be fun. That'll be fun for you. It'll be fun for me, too, because I'm I'm going to talk about it. So we're going to talk about WandaVision. We're going to talk about uh, Game Stonks. I mean, surely you've seen it in the news. It's very interesting and I know (laughs) this is not the podcast that you go to for speculation on the stock market this is not the podcast that you go uh, to 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 find out who you should invest in or what what stocks are hot and what stocks are not but uh, regardless we are going to talk about it on the show today and before we get into those things though we are going to talk a little bit uh, about some news. We've got some news for you. Um, on Game Rant, we found an article that talks about G4. G4 TV is going to return this summer, and it's been confirmed that the Attack of the Show and X-Play are also coming back with this return of G4 TV. And so that's great news because... Back when that, what channel was it on? It was it was on G4, but it was on something else as well. No, I'm thinking of uh, the Ninja Warrior. Ninja Warrior was also on G4, but this was a staple uh, to me as a as a child. I mean, we didn't have the prolific uh, internet uh, articles, internet sources that that we have today, and so this was one of our only good reliable sources of news for video games. I mean that and the magazines. I subscribed to GamePro and EGM. My brother had a subscription to Nintendo Power. 
but that was all that we would get. That was the, all the, where we would get all of our gaming, all of our gaming news. So it's going to be exciting. It's going to be incredibly nostalgic to see these shows return. Um, they put out a, they put out a video on Twitter, but it's going to be very exciting. In other gaming news, uh, Apex Legends here in, I, gosh, I think it's this next week. Yeah, the next six, five, six days are coming out with uh, Season 8 of Apex Legends featuring a new character, Fuse. So there's some wonderful launch trailers, some gameplay trailers up online. And they've got a new gun, the 3030 Repeater. So I'm very excited to try that out. Apparently, it's supposed to ride kind of the middle ground between the G7 Scout and the Longbow DMR. So it's kind of a sniper and you can charge it up a little bit if you're looking down the iron sights or at least as far as I'm reading on these uh, internet resources. Last week on the podcast, we discussed how Microsoft had increased all of their Xbox Live and Xbox Gold prices and basically doubled a, a year-long subscription service from $60 a year up to $120 a year. And then for their one-month and three-month tiers, the price had all, all also gone up. Right after I recorded that podcast, it appeared that they were waiting for it. They were waiting for the Culture Jack stance before they... Um, when Remember what we told them? We said, hey... It's during a pandemic. Don't raise your prices. Come on. Let's not be ridiculous. So after they heard from Culture Jacked, Xbox and Microsoft reconsidered their price raises. And they, they put out a statement. And this was their statement from the, the update. This is how it read. But I'm going to do the uh, the PR rep here. So here we go. <clears throat> we, we messed up today. And, and you were right to let us know. Connecting and playing with friends is a vital part of gaming, and we failed to meet the expectations of players who count on it every day. As a result, we have decided not to change Xbox Live Gold pricing. And I think that's a good decision. I think that's a good update to the story. I think that's a good outcome, even even though I'm not super pleased with how we got there with just people complaining about the price, but I guess it works. I guess it works. I, I have such a hard time with that. We go out in the public, we go to a restaurant. I have a hard time complaining if something's not done correctly or, you know, they're not quick on refilling the water or whatever, or I go to some store and the service isn't what it is. I know people that can just complain to high health, get what they want get a good desired outcome and I'm over here trying to be as polite as I can and not get the good outcome and it's a shame that it's got to be like that and it's a shame how we got here but I am I am happy with the outcome and so not only that but apparently any free to play game that was on the Xbox service before required an Xbox Gold membership, it required that Xbox Live account, but no longer. And now, all of the free-to-play games, you can just play if you have an Xbox. So that's great. I mean, that's great news. Uh, so the update statement closed with the numbers, and it said, if you are an Xbox Live Gold member already, 
you stay at your current price for renewal. New and existing members can continue to enjoy Xbox Live Gold for the same prices they, they pay today. So in the U.S., that's $9.99 for one-month subscription, $24.99 for three months, and $39.99 for six months, and $59.99 uh, for uh, 12 months. So I'm glad they I'm glad they reversed the decision on that. Okay, so this might be a story that could use some follow up from the folks over on the Monday Madness show because they're a little more tech savvy than your humble host here on the Friday show. So the article in which I'm referring to is a Game Rant article and it says Lord of the Rings minus Tirith brought to life in Minecraft ray tracing videos. So we've all seen the YouTube videos or we've seen the screenshots of these incredible, beautifully developed uh, reconstructions of fantasy worlds, of starships from Star Wars or Star Trek, uh, all kinds of wonderful creations that must have taken so long to build in this, in this I guess, virtual Lego playground that Minecraft really is. And so in it, uh, it says NVIDIA, NVIDIA shares a video showing off Lord of the Rings minus Truth in Minecraft with RTX enabled ray tracing enhancing the entire scene. And I watched the video. It's like 46 seconds long. It's very brief. But the things that they do with light, and, and this is why all of these all of these gaming companies have been touting ray tracing with lighting because it's incredible. I mean, I, I understood the implications, the way light bounces and reflects and absorbs into different material and depending on where the material is and what it looks like and how far shadows are cast and stuff like that. And I thought, wow, that'll look cool. But it's not until I saw this video, this Minecraft video, that really showcased the power of what ray tracing can do. And so I'm very excited. I'm very excited about it. I'm not, I'm not a computer guy, so obviously I don't get the benefit of this wonderful ray traced technology yet. However, Xbox Series X, I'm sure we'll get there at some time soon. We've got to. I mean, right? They've got to they've got to have some mod pack that has some super great graphics or something. I think they were doing an actual update to the update to the game that did something like that. But if you check out this video, it's be, and I've heard people talking on different podcasts about what Minecraft specifically can do with ray tracing. And there's a door that you can build. And they were talking about building this door in their house. And the door has four little window slots in it. And they could see the light beaming in through the window and little dust particles that it was catching, just like you might in your home on a very sunny, sunny afternoon. They talked about going down in these caves and in the caves, there's different mineral deposits. For those of you that don't play Minecraft, you might not realize it, but there's iron ore and diamonds, if you're lucky, and emeralds and uh, redstone and lupus lazuli and all kinds of stuff. Lapis lazuli, not lupus lazuli. Oh, that'd be that'd be dangerous. Um, all kinds of stuff down in these caves, and the different stones, the different minerals, have different shimmers to them. And so they said, as they were in this world exploring these caves, they almost felt it a shame to mine up these precious minerals because 
it would it would take away something from the game. It would take away these beautiful light refractions that these gems were giving off inside the caverns. They also said that the sun coming down, lighting up the cavern, bending around corners, being diminished in darker areas, building a camp on a beach and being able to tell the time of day based on the sun reflecting off the hot white sand. These kinds of examples, well, frankly, they make my nipples hard, but they're, they're wonderful examples of what this technology can do. Another article here uh, that, <laughs> that I found talking about the Wii U exclusives being still trapped on the Wii U. And this is a concern that I have voiced on the show, and I, I am preparing a episode based on archival uh, of not just games, but movies, music, television, and, and, and capturing that stuff for generations yet to come. And I'm not the only one thinking of this. I've already seen several museums that work on archival, uh, several extensive libraries, uh, creative commons, all kinds of stuff that has good archival prospects. Uh, so I'm not alone in it, and people that are much smarter, much more affluent are working on it, so don't you worry either. But Wii exclusives are still trapped on the system, and there weren't many great games on the Wii U. I mean, there were some. We had some fun with it there at the beginning, but the Wii U did very poor. Uh, Mario Kart 8 moved over uh, to the Switch. Super Mario 3D World came over, uh, but there are other games that are stuck on there. So hopefully they'll hopefully they'll make it off there at some point. For those of you that play Cyberpunk 2077 and look forward to it next week, I'll be doing another midweek special on Cyberpunk 2077 that lets you update update you on my progress. But needless to say, it's a wonderful game. I'm enjoying it uh, very much so. They just had a hotfix release, uh, Cyberpunk 2077 1.11 update fixes major game breaking bug. And so what's that bug? Um uh, do this update restores item randomization and fixes a bug which affected some users hollow call with Takamura in down uh, on the street quest. And so apparently that was a quest that people were having some issues with Speaking of the bugs, I'm, I know I'll, I'll talk about it a little bit more on Wednesday, but speaking of the bugs, I haven't dealt with too many more game-breaking bugs. In fact, I don't really think that I have. My gun stopped working again a couple of times. I don't think they've gotten to that one. Um, but, hey, what are you going to do? Uh, so GameStop, okay, we're going to save that one. We're going we're gonna to talk about GameStop right before we talk about WandaVision and in the episode because this stuff is wild. This stuff is wild. And like I said, this is not a stock podcast. You don't come here to learn about the intricacies of Wall Street. You come here to talk to me about WandaVision. So um, we are going to talk about it, though. Oh, that's another another GameStop one. We'll just move that right over there, too. Okay. Uh, recently, the... Uh, 2021 New York Game Awards uh, were held. And again, just like, you know, other events during this pandemic, they were an on, it was an online event and it was co-hosted uh, by Reggie's 
Reggie Phil Phil's Ami. Um, he's the Nintendo, or well, he's the former president of Nintendo America. He often appeared in the Nintendo Directs if you ever paid attention to those. But I I I had not heard about the New York Game Awards, so I'm going to go over the winners of the different categories of the New York Game Awards. Hopefully, the game that you were rooting for made it, but. The thing that I like about these awards is they have different categories to the awards. Like they have the, you know, game of the year, they've got soundtrack, they've got gameplay stuff, but they give them all very specific names. And so like the award is not just, you know, it's the game of the year. In this case, it's the big apple award for best game of the year. And so we'll start with that. The best game of the year for the big apple award is, Uh, Hades, the Central Park's Children's Zoo Award for the best kids game is Animal Crossing New Horizons, the A-Train Award for the best mobile game is Genshin Impact, the Coney Island Dreamland Award for best AR VR game is Half-Life Alex. Now I looked for Half-Life Alex on the Oculus Quest and I don't think you can get it. I think it's a Steam game maybe exclusively. And so I, I wish you could get it on the Oculus quest, but I think you have to do, you have to get the PC and then play it on the, on the PC VR, which is a shame, which is a bummer. Cause I'm digging the VR, man. I'm still enjoying it. Like I talked about it last week. We just finished, uh, the room and it was amazing. Like it had, it was a very, very quick story. I want to say, you know, total gameplay time that we played it, played it for two or three hours, a few nights, maybe, maybe eight, maybe 10 hours long. Like it, not a long game, but it had a very satisfying conclusion. And I hope they do a, a second game. Like as VR moves out of this infancy stage, which I still kind of feel like it's in, and they're mastering the technology, a lot of the games, like we said last week, are very, very gimmicky. And so they're all about, hey, look what you can do within the VR. Look what you can do with the controllers, with the movement. And a lot of them are, I think, less focused on the fact of making a unique game. Well, they're still trying to figure out what all it can do. So I I think the best is yet to come. And I think... That VR is going to, I don't know, at least take up a larger part of my gaming pie than I had ever, ever thought, ever thought that it would. Okay, um, so that was the Coney Island Dreamland Award for Best AR VR was Half-Life Alex. The Off-Broadway Award for Best Indie Game uh, also goes to Hades. The Tin Pan Alley Award for Best Music in a Game, also going to Hades. I have heard a lot of good things about this Hades game. Like, uh, it is a roguelike game, and they've built kind of the gameplay loop of the roguelike into the story of Hades, where you are the son of Hades, and you are trying to escape hell. And your father is not having it. And so he sends all of these deities against you to fight you. And as you die and are are sent back to the beginning to try and escape hell again, 
there are unique dialogues for the different bosses that you face. And they're like, oh, you're back again. You didn't last long enough last time. You didn't make it through last time. What makes you think that you're good enough to do it this time? And so it's got a really cool gameplay loop. At least I've heard that. What is it for? Is it for the Switch? Gosh, it's probably for everything. It's probably for the... I should get it for the Xbox if it is. The Statue of Liberty Award for the Best World goes to Ghost of Tsushima, which I'm going to buy and play because I still have a PlayStation 4. I talked about that. The Herman Melville Award for Best Writing goes to Hades. The Great White Way Award for Best Acting in a Game goes to Logan Cunningham as Lord Hades. Uh, I guess he also played Poseidon, Achilles, Charon, the storyteller, Asterius uh, in Hades. He played a lot of parts in that game. The Freedom Tower Award for Best Remake goes to Final Fantasy VII, the remake, which is amazing. I know a great deal of my nostalgia for games, especially RPG games, comes from Final Fantasy VII. I had never heard about it. I was in the 6th or 7th grade when it came out. They were like, yeah, this new game, Final Fantasy VII. I was like, I haven't played 1 through 6. They're like, don't worry about it. 1 through 6 are not important in this way. And I played it front to back. My brothers played it as well. And This is back when I was a child and very stingy with my electronics. I was not... I'm, I do not look back on this time with a kind of fond remembrance. I'm very embarrassed about it, but we all played it and we had a, a, a great time. At least I did. <laughs> my, my brothers might say differently. Um, but it not only inspired uh, my love for gaming, but it also inspired more specifically my love for RPGs. And I've played many Final Fantasies since then, many other RPGs. The western world take on the rpg the fallouts the outer worlds the cyberpunk 2077 um that well i guess that's not really a western rpg is it but it's in that mold it's in that model uh they are are currently my my favorite type because they allow me to be more immersed in the character and play as the character instead of um just driving the character Okay, let's see. The Captain Award for Best Esports Team is the Red Bull OG CSGO uh, team. I'm not familiar. I I don't know. Like, I'm teetering on the edge of wanting to become very, very interested in esports just because it's such a fledgling. It's, it's, it's new. But these guys are pulling away big cash purses man like they are they are winning some buku bucks and apparently notoriety the shea stadium award for best esports event is the overwatch league and now i'm trying to recall but i think overwatch league was also a winner for the game awards a couple months ago the knickerbocker award for best games journalism goes to uh, jason schreier and so those are the 13 categories for the 2021 New York Game Awards. Um, I don't know if there was any special announcements, at least in this article. It's not saying as such, but uh, there you have it. If you didn't know the 2021 New York Game Awards were going on, well, now you do, and now you know who the winners are. Moving over into movie news, 
Black Panther 2, Michael B. Jordan is open to returning to play Eric Killmonger, which is, I mean, it's great news, but it also, it doesn't undermine the character's death in the first one because I, I hear a lot of arguments about that all the time when there's a character's death and then in a sequel or subsequent movie, they redact it in some way, whether it's uh, making the character still alive or I guess really that's the only way they usually redact it that gets criticism. And they say, well, now his death didn't mean anything. And if you watched the first movie without being spoiled to the contents of the second, then of course it did. It had impact in that moment. It made you feel some kind of way. And of course, Michael B. Jordan would be willing to come back to the MCU. And they've recast other MCU characters as well. So if he wasn't coming back as Killmonger, he could be recast in an instant for anyone else. I mean, he's got the star power to just join right up. The thing about Killmonger is how would they bring him back? I mean, he did get the power of the Black Panther. He ate the Lotus and became Black Panther. Then he burned all the rest of them. So is is there some way that maybe Killmonger can have his powers transferred to Shuri to become the next Black Panther? Or Killmonger, after a revival, also has a change of heart and becomes a more noble Black Panther or a, a Black Panther in more alignment with T'Challa's original goals and um, kind of aspirations as Black Panther. Maybe that's the case as well. And maybe Shuri's not the Black, but she continues to support the Black Panther. I don't know. I don't think I'd like a Killmonger as a Black Panther. He was such a good, he was such a good bad guy. So layered, so evil, but so right. I don't know. We'll see. So anyway, uh, he was talking to People Magazine and he reflected on the death of Chadwick Boseman. And he said, uh, that's something that is very, very near and dear to my heart for a lot of obvious reasons. He said, I had a really tough year losing somebody close to me. And what that means for that franchise is devastating. Uh, and then when he was asked if he'd be willing to return for Black Panther 2, he said, but being in that world, in a character that I loved playing and working with uh, Ryan Coogler and all that good stuff, it's family. We created a family over there. So to be able to be in that world again is something that I think will always be on the table in some capacity. So I'd love to see him return in some way. I don't know how they'll do it. But man, these are comic book movies. Good guys, bad guys, they die and they come back all the time. Although he'd probably be the first bad guy to come back, really. Okay, so the, did you see the trailer? There was a trailer released, I believe it was at the beginning of this week, was uh, Godzilla versus Kong. Oh, I'm so excited. I have the same level of excitement for Godzilla versus Kong that I did have for Pacific Rim. The, the big monster movie, the big robots versus monsters. And speaking of robots, in this particular article, they reference a 
Funko Pop reveal or a leaked Funko Pop reveal that maybe spoils some of the Godzilla vs. Kong movie. So if you're interested in not being spoiled, I suggest you skip ahead like 30 seconds. But this Funko Pop is a Mecha Godzilla. And so that's basically confirmation that there's Mecha Godzilla in Godzilla vs. Kong. So do Kong and Godzilla fight at the beginning and then they go up against this new rival later there at the end? Is there a misunderstanding about what Godzilla is or who he really is by Kong? And Kong attributes maybe some of his destruction to this other character. I don't know. I don't know, but I'm very excited. I've recently begun watching with my son these monster universe. We started with the 2014 Godzilla movie and we went through that. It was almost a little bit too scary for him, but he toughed it out. We made it through the movie. Thought it was awesome. Of course, cause it was. Then we moved on to Kong skull Island and we finished that one. Also some horribly nightmarish imagery in that one, but we finished it regardless, and he enjoyed that one very much. Next, we have to do Godzilla King of Monsters. So that's one that I haven't seen yet. And so I'm very excited about that. Uh, and then, thanks to the HBO Max deal, all of these Warner Brothers movies are streaming uh, direct at the same time they're being released in the theater. So we'll then get to see Godzilla vs. Kong. And I couldn't be more excited about it. All right. So uh, this is another WandaVision thing. I'm not going to I'm not going to talk about that, um, but they're putting out more promo clips. And so this is the day of the podcast is the day of the WandaVision. So you don't have to go get a promo clip. Just go watch the damn show. But they put out a new promo clip about that. And it looks like things in WandaVision are about to get very real. And what I mean by that is there's going to be more more information, more exposition that allows us to know what is actually going on behind the set of these movies because it's not it's not just a happy-go-lucky sitcom. There are some very devious, very underhanded things going on in the town of Westview. Is it Westview? I think it's Westview. And so some of that has to do with this new promo, which I shouldn't have watched because I'm just excited about watching the show. We'll get more into WandaVision a little bit later. The Batman is reportedly uh, set to wrap production on schedule. And then the Flash movie will begin filming in April. So that's good to know, especially because there was that that kind of uh, tit for tat, that little back and forth that um, Pattison and the director had. <laughs> Who's the director of that movie? Oh, shoot. Andy Muschietti. Muschietti is the, um, ah, Matt Reeves is the director of the Batman. So that's good. That's good. And there's a lot of, a lot of movies getting pushed back again, pushed back. <laughs> Here's another article that says HBO Max sees a huge increase in subscribers thanks to Wonder Woman 1984 streaming release. And we knew it was going to happen. We knew that it wasn't going to get as much of a box office haul as the other Wonder Woman did, as any movies are getting right now, just because of the nature of things and the way that the world is. But we imagined 
that this was going to be a driver for subscriptions on HBO Max. And that's that's proven to be be true. So in September, they uh, had twenty eight point seven million subscribers. And then um, that that number has been boosted up to forty one million uh, since then. And that is like this uh, AT&T CEO, John Stanky, said today that it's a full two years faster than their initial forecast. So they wanted to hit uh, 50 million and 55 million, between 50 and 55 million um, by 2025. And so that's a pretty ambitious number. But if that increase, I mean, that's over a 10 million person increase in just a couple of months is any indication over what the service could do with all of these direct to streaming releases that it's going to be doing throughout 2021. I would say out of all of the, the specific genres, all of the specific movies that definitely have very specific fan bases. And there are some overlaps like, you know, the, Suicide Squad people are going to be some of the same people that go see The Matrix. But there are also some disparate genres, categories, and movies. There's going to be another substantial, I think. I can't help but think that they're going to make their 50 million person goal by the end of 2021. A full, uh, well, I guess it'd be a full three years earlier than their anticipated goal at that point. Yeah, that's so cool. All right. Spider-Man actor Tony Revolori is in talks for a lead role in a new Willow Disney Plus series. And so another movie um, from my childhood, but it's going to be a series. It's I'm very excited. We talked about this before. He's going to be playing uh, someone named Echo, uh, who is basically taking on that role of Mad Mardigan from from the original movie, the, the Val Kilmer character, who is a thief and a liar, and he joins the quest in exchange for getting out of prison, similar to uh, Val Kilmer's character. And so this this movie, I was pretty excited about it, but then I was like, man, Warwick Davis is probably past. <laughs> He's probably gone. And I don't, I don't say that lightly. Like it's a, it's a shame. He's an iconic person. He played in, in, in Willow. He was the leprechaun. He had all kinds of starring roles, but no, he's alive and well, he's going to reprise his, his role as Willow, which makes me wonder how much of a role is Willow going to have, or is Willow, the Willow character, portrayed by Warwick Davis, just going to be the bridge that connects the two films. Is it going to be a prequel? No, it's a sequel. It's got to it's gotta take place after the events of Willow. I'm going to have to go back and rewatch Willow. But does this mean, if it's playing on Disney+, Plus, is Willow a Disney movie? Do I have access to Willow right now and I just didn't realize it? What the hell's going on? Oh, before I forget, I uh, began to play Medium on Xbox. And so I was looking forward to that game. It's got a really 
kind of cool concept where you can split reality and you can go in like half of you in this nightmarish hellscape, the other half of you in the real world, and they're different. So you have to go back and forth to, to solve clues and it's like a horror game. I've only played maybe 20 minutes of it, so I am not that far along. So far, it doesn't feel like my cup of tea, but you know what it does feel like? It feels like I'm playing Resident Evil back in 1998, 96. I don't know when that game came out or when I played it, but that game, just the controls, because you do not have control over the camera. It is a fixed point game or it is a game that divines the camera, the camera angle and the camera movement all by itself, which I don't care for. I like to have control over that stuff. Thank you very much. And so if you're walking to the right, you go far enough to the right, you go through a door, you go into a different room, then the angle will change. And now all of a sudden that direction that was taking you to the right is now a forward direction. And so it will keep for a moment or maybe longer if you hold on, and I haven't really tried, but it's really disorienting. That rightward movement as now the upward movement that it needs to be, or if you take your finger off the stick and then press up, your character will move up. So it's really kind of, I just, I don't appreciate that control scheme. And I guess that has more to do with the camera angle than it does the controls themselves. Because if you had the option to manipulate the camera, then a forward would be a forward. Unless, you know, you manipulate the camera in a forwards now aside, but you'd have control about that. You'd know when the camera's going to change before it does. I mean, it looks like a fine game, but right now, at the very beginning, it's very slow, and the controls are not something that agree with me, at least um, too much. And also, I think I'm a, I may be a little bit of a scaredy cat, so I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure if the game might not be too scary for me. All right, so. Uh, Big news here. Uncharted with Tom Holland is now going into 2022. Ghostbusters Afterlife is being pushed to November. There are a lot of movies that are um, a lot of movies that are being moved at this point. Let's see. Venom Let There Be Carnage is on June 25th. Uh, Morbius Oh, this is not this even this article. I have I have two articles brought up here. This is not the right one. The there's a lot of movies being moved because there is not a lot of hope that this spring is going to bring the returns that they want that they that they think they need. So, okay, here's the here's the better article. This one says Morbius is moving to January of 2022. Uh no, no time to die has moved again. I listen to these guys on the weekly planet. There are a couple Australian fellows. It's a podcast and they, they, there's like a running joke that they have where they talk to each other and they say, you know what I just need? I just need a little more time not to die because this James Bond film has been delayed again. And though I don't pay particularly close attention to other films that are not, supernatural, fantastic sort of superhero movies, I guess. Doesn't mean that I can't enjoy a good James Bond joke when I get one. So let's see. Uh, here we go. Nope, that's not it. There was a, 
Oh, shoot. There was a good article that that talked about all of the different all of the different release dates. Maybe it was that one that I clicked off of. But there's a lot of things getting delayed again. And the springtime may not be the movie-filled theaters that they anticipated, expected, or wanted. But we should have some pretty good stuff coming out on streaming. And I hope, I hope people get a, a little more wise to the fact that they should be streaming this. And maybe HBO's subscriber drive will be enough to convince Disney Plus, Black Widow. Black Widow's not coming out in May. I can tell already. Gosh, it breaks my breaks my heart. Oh, this is the one. It was a quiet place too. Yes, okay. So, a quiet place too is also moving. It's moving. It was supposed to come out in April. Now it's coming out September 17th. Um we've got No Time to Die that's been moved. The Adams Family 2. I assume that must be the animated sequel. Uh Nobody Last Night in Soho, Morbius, Uncharted, Ghostbusters Afterlife, Peter Rabbit 2, unfortunately, The Getaway, Cinderella, and earlier today, Walt Disney's 20th Century Studios, The King's Man, which I guess is supposed to be like a prequel prequel to the prequels of The Kingsman, Bob's Burgers, and Ron's Gone Wrong. So a lot of movies are being delayed. Uh... Yeah, I don't I don't care as long as I get to see Black Widow before next year. Come on. Come on. Just release it. Okay, and then the last the last piece of news before I get into talking about Game Stonks and WandaVision is that Marvel boss Kevin Feige teases future multiverse plans and then he plays coy when asked about Magneto and Quicksilver. All right, so let me see if I can find the, the quote here. Uh, so this was in an interview with Rotten Tomatoes. Um, he was talking about Doctor Strange and how the Doctor Strange sequel, Multiverse of Madness, will tackle the concept of a multiverse head-on. Uh, so this is what he said. What was my what was my Kevin Feige voice? I don't know. He's, he's Australian this time, though, I guess. The title of the next Doctor Strange movie is Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. So that is our biggest clue that the movie will embrace the multiverse and the madness therein very directly. Feige teased. There are, as we always like to do, connections before and after that, which will remain to be seen and discovered. But it seemed appropriate that it would be Doctor Strange that takes that on in the most direct way. Um, he was also asked about the possibility of Quicksilver and Magneto showing up, but was not willing to give much away. And so for the uninitiated, I'm sure we've talked about it on the podcast before, but uh, Quicksilver, obviously Scarlet Witch's brother, as was shown in the MCU, but in the comics, they were the children of Magneto. And so... Will this be a good time to introduce Magneto? Kevin Feige continued. 
Wanda's got a lot of family members in the comics. This is more about that relationship with Vision, and more about that dynamic and the evolving relationship of that couple, and how that grows and evolves and unfolds. And so he's pressed for answers about these other family members, and he would only say, with the cheekiest of cheeky smiles, that there are other characters in this episode of the show. Who they are, what they are, well, it's not worth discussing right now. <laughs> so I think it would be great if we saw a, um, a WandaVision that included, um, that included Magneto, that included X-Men in some form or fashion. My gut tells me that they're not going to do anything big like that. And I don't think they're going to do anything big like that because I think they're going to save that big world-changing event for a movie like Doctor Strange. They're not going to just drop that in their very first Disney Plus show. Get out of town. You're too excited. You're, you're not thinking straight is all I have to say about that. Okay, now I want to talk about all about WandaVision, but I got I to gotta stop and I got to talk about GameStop. Okay, so this is wild. This is wild, and it's, like I said, not a normal feature of Culture Jack. Definitely not a normal feature of the Friday show. Well, on Monday Madness, uh, it was it was talked a little bit about UFC, Conor McGregor, and still being the king of hype, uh, even though he suffered a, a defeat here recently. So maybe we're branching out. Maybe this isn't, this isn't your mom and dad's Culture Jack. This is a new... Culture Jack, the sexy Culture Jack that talks about uh, UFC fights and stocks and bonds and trading and stuff like that. Probably not, but this is newsworthy. And one thing I like to do on this show, and I know uh, Monday Madness is a lot the same way, is we like to capture big events. And if for no other reason for ourselves, because this is a time capsule. This is a time capsule to a certain set of events and we can look back and see what was going on and what was impacting us enough to even talk about and how it impacted our lives and how it reflected and maybe changed our opinions on things. And so this is a very interesting story and I'm hopefully going to get it right. I called uh, my buddy who's a financial advisor this morning to kind of get all my facts straight. And I know I'm going to butcher it beyond belief. So maybe there could be some follow-up on Monday Madness if he decides he wants to talk about it too. But there were there's a, a Reddit subculture or a Reddit group or subreddit. That's what they call it. I'm not on Reddit, so I don't know much about these things. But it's called Wall Street Bets. And I, I'm getting ahead of myself. Before I go into that, there is this thing that hedge fund managers on Wall Street like to do called short selling. And so basically what short selling is, is they will borrow stocks from someone else and they'll borrow these stocks and they will proceed to sell them and they will sell them on a stock that they presume that they have identified as one that is maybe flailing or floundering that's not going to do well and is going to drop in price. So they will sell these stocks that they've borrowed 
And then when it drops in price, they will buy the stocks back. Then they will return the stocks that they have borrowed. But because they have bought them for a lesser price than they sold them at, they will then get a profit on however much less that price was. And so that effectively is called short selling. And it, it's, if it seems super scummy, it's, it's kind of because it is super scummy. It's, it's an underhanded way. Like it's not, you, you can hear all kinds of horror stories about hedge fund managers and, and have opinions on yourself on those. But so what happened here is GameStop being a brick and mortar location to an industry that is largely going more and more digital. Even myself, I buy most of my games online. Most of them, I have a very extensive digital library. I've moved almost all away from discs. And what that means is I'm not going to places like GameStop anymore. And a lot of people aren't. And GameStop has had year after year after year of just declining valuation, I think, or <laughs> at least I've been told. So what happened is these hedge fund managers, they went to do one of these short sales on GameStop. They borrowed a bunch of uh, shares and they sold them and they were going to buy them back when GameStop dipped. Well, this group on Reddit, the uh, Wall Street Bets group, decided that they weren't going to have that. They weren't going to allow these hedge fund managers getting <laughs> all of these profits off of this very dicey thing. So they decided that they were going to buy as many stocks as they could. And they convinced a huge number of people to buy as many stocks as they could, thus driving the, the, the value of GameStop up and up and up and up and up. And for the last several days, it has seen, I, I can't remember what they said. It was either 700% or 7,000%, like starting at around $20. And now the price has been, it's been up as high as $410 with all of these people getting into buying up this stock of GameStop and GameStop wasn't the only one they went after. They went after a bunch of defunct stocks uh, to include build a bear to include, uh, what was the other one? Nokia. There was an AMC. I also saw a story that this this particular stunt could potentially save AMC theaters. <laughs> it's so crazy. The implications of these people on the internet, because these are just regular people who got this tip that there's a short sale going on. And I don't know how proprietary this information is or how they necessarily wandered across the information, or if they just are people that watch the markets and they watch the trends and they could see that the GameStop shares were, were down and going down. And so they knew short sales would be going on. So they're driving the price up. So what this, this price hike does at that point, those short sellers who had sold off that stock intending to buy it at a much lower price, there is a date, there's a due date where they have to make good on, on their, their, their loan of these stocks and pay the stocks back. So they have to buy them back. And if, if Reddit, if wall street bets can keep the stock price high enough, these hedge funds 
these hedge fund managers have to go back in and buy the stock now at a much higher price. And when they do that, that drives the price even further up. And so it's right now, it seems like there's just this holding pattern between the regular Joes on Reddit and the Wall Street elite. It's so fascinating to watch. And I don't know what the implications are to the market. And I, like I said, I talked to my uh, financial advisor buddy who uh, <laughs> shall remain nameless, of course. But I talked to him and he said that he's already had people that are coming into his, his business asking him, you know, what, what he thinks about investing in this GameStop stuff. And I asked him the same thing. I said, so this feels like, you know, you know, not to, not to begrudge the regular folks that are making money off of this. I even have family members that I just heard have made like $200,000 off of this whole event. That's amazing. That's amazing. And where were they to give me the tip uh, on GameStop? Nowhere to be found. Thank you very much. But that's all right. I, I enjoy the grind anyway. Um, but there, uh, where was I going with this? <laughs> oh, so I asked him, I said, I said, surely this type of thing, it's it, a bunch of people getting together and deciding specifically to drive up, up a stock price can't be legal. Like the stock prices should just have to be driven up, you know, by themselves, by the value of whatever product is that they are providing. And he said, well, not necessarily illegal because, um, though market manipulation could be very illegal if there was perhaps a majority shareholder in this group of people, or, uh, they had some other vested interest in the company, then it could be, uh, you know, considered insider trading and could be very illicit, but the consistent deregulation of wall street has allowed this event to go on with these big guys on wall street, but also these little guys. And it is amazing the about face that these corporate wall street bankers have had since this has all gone on, uh, where before they would decry a regulation, uh, are now lobbying for regulation to prevent the wall street bets guys to make more money. Uh, this has also had implications for one of the major apps that were used to buy all of these stocks. And it's called Robinhood. A lot of people have used it. And this, <laughs> we are not a big enough podcast to have paid advertisements yet, but this is not an endorsement of Robinhood. This is a, um, I guess it's a little bit damning uh, for Robinhood because Robinhood, where a lot of these trades took place, a lot of these purchases took place, they slowed down their app at the behest of these Wall Street folks. They eventually took the stocks that were being bought the most, like AMC and like GameStop, and stopped allowing them to be bought. So these other little guys couldn't continue to drive up the price. Apparently, one of the hedge fund managers, they already lost like $2.7 billion. That is so much money. Then they had a cash injection from other manager buddies 
and then they lost that too. It's like $5 billion lost so far. So it's a waiting game. We're going to see where it goes. There's a supposedly class action lawsuits being filed against uh, Robin Hood right now. And uh, there's another article that, that I have up that um, it says Google is deleting thousands of negative uh, Robin Hood reviews on their app store to save it from a one star rating. So this is it's a this is like a David and Goliath battle right here. And it's so weird to watch. And I never paid any attention to any of this stuff outside of, you know, how well my my company 401k was doing and even that was in passing. And so this is, it's also incredibly boring, but incredibly exciting at the same time. It'll be interesting to see where it goes. Be very interesting to see where it goes. Okay. So, oh, at one point as these, as these prices were being driven through the roof, Elon Musk, he tweeted out game stonks, which drove the price up another 30%. Because people were like, oh, Elon Musk is on board on this thing. It's it's bananas. It's absolutely bananas. Um, so, yeah, that's that's the GameStop stock market. And this has been the uh, <laughs> this has been the Culture Jack Business Hour where you can find financial advice. None of this is advice. Please do not take any of it seriously. Oh, that's another thing my buddy said. As we were talking about this, I said, well, you know, so is it a good idea? Cause like you can buy stocks all day long, but that doesn't make you any money, right? It's the selling of stocks at higher prices that makes you money. And he said, yeah, you know, there is going to come a time. These prices keep going up and going up and going up. And there's more and more people that are getting in later and later. So they are buying stocks that are more and more expensive. He said, GameStop is still not changed. Like there's no additional value that this is adding to GameStop. And so eventually it's going to top out and people are going to get scared or they're going to have enough and they're going to want to sell and the price is going to drop. And there's going to be someone that's left holding the bag. And right now it seems like that is a competition between the big guys and the little guys. Let's talk about WandaVision, shall we? Let's talk about WandaVision and and close this behemoth out. So I I watched the third episode of WandaVision. I know you didn't think that I was going to watch it, but I did. And um, before I get into it, I just want to... Uh, excuse me. Where are you going? Where are you going? All right, here's here's the article that I wanted to wanted to get. So, um, this has got a couple things that happened on the uh, on the Friday show that I want to talk about, um, and just to kind of remind me. But also, the WandaVision showrunner comments on the accuracy of fan theories surrounding the Disney Plus series, and so that's us. She's talking about us. We are theorizing every week about what's going on with WandaVision. Um, so. She said, uh, let's see if I can do it. What's her voice? What's her voice? She's from, she's from the South. She's from Texas. It's been so fun. Mostly just because it's all 
Everything is just indicative of fan engagement. And that's all you really want ever is for people to care and be interested. The theorizing is amazing, the filmmaker said. The fans are, are so smart and so dedicated and they come up with such, you know, amazing notions. A lot of it's inaccurate. Oh, no, a lot of it is accurate. A lot of it is not. There's a lot that's very amusing. There are a few things here and there that I'm like, oh, I didn't mean that, but that's very smart. I'm just going to go ahead and be like, I, I meant that. And with the writers, we do a lot of sending of the memes and the tweets to each other for our own internal enjoyment. And that's been a lot of fun. Uh, so yeah, uh, she thinks it's fun that we're theorizing. Now, it always is interesting. It's, it's kind of a tell when there are, there's a show that, that garners a lot of fan attention and has a very, very strong cult following or a universe in this case as the MCU does where there's, there's a lot of theories and it's always very neat when a filmmaker that's behind the series goes and says, yeah, some of the theories have been right. Well, now we've all we have to do is compile a list of all the theories and we go, okay, one of these things is correct. So I don't know if it's Mephisto. I don't know if it's Magneto. I don't know what it is, but I'm hoping that it's something that is big, earth-shattering, and universe-shaking to change the MCU before we get to Doctor Strange. There, and we talked about last week that theory that Doctor Strange is actually behind the whole thing. There is a, there is a definite villain. They've talked about it several times. They said, we're glad you don't know who the villain is. Uh, even um, uh, Elizabeth Olsen is she says i hope you don't find out i hope it's not spoiled who the villain is um until like the fourth or fifth uh episode so it's it's fun to theorize but a lot of people think that the villain is wanda herself and and keeping all of these people in westview and so the the episode okay so this was the first color episode and so if the internet is to be believed, the first episode was kind of a I love Lucy style episode. And then the second episode was more of the bewitched episode. And then this third episode was the first color episode. And it was kind of the, the Brady bunch style comedy episode. And so in the episode, at the end of the second episode, we just seen that Wanda had become pregnant all of a sudden after time was rewound and they went, they moved into color. And so this episode, it's, <laughs> it really quickly was about her, um, her pregnancy and all three or four days of it. And it was very funny because at the, the beginning vision was like doing the calculations in his head and he was talking about, okay, well, you know, on Tuesday you were at this point in your pregnancy. So you should, you should, you should be at term on uh, 
Friday. And so very quick pregnancy. And then there was a scene where, uh, Gertaline, Gertaline, Gertaline. I, I don't know how to pronounce that name. It's an old, old lady's name. Uh, she came in and Wanda was trying to hide her pregnancy. And there was a stork that kept making the rounds and she kept trying to get rid of it with very time accurate magic, just red smoke in the room. So the practical effects in this were great. And the special effects of the stork were really good as well. Don't get me wrong. Um, but it it kept, com- kept coming in and, and kind of represented that the baby was coming, that the baby was on its way. There were a lot of things that were representative of things in this episode. And uh, <laughs> I heard someone reference the joke because when her water broke, the sprinklers went off. And then when she was actually giving birth, like she couldn't control her powers and paintings on her wall was spinning, lights were flickering. And there was the the scene where the leader, not the leader, the, I guess the, the head gal at the, the neighborhood community, I don't know, get together, whatever it was. Uh, she went into the living room and she said, does this lipstick make me look fat? The power went out and the husband was reading the newspaper and oh, thank God. <laughs> it, like it was just a, it was a very funny time accurate sitcom joke that was just, just perfect. And there's been a lot of complaints about this show, like dragging on too long that it was just, it just, it's taking too long to get through the, the specific time periods. <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. It's very late. I'm losing it. I'm absolutely losing it. But that's fine. You like me like that, don't you? You like me a little crazy, a little bit dangerous, a little bit wild, don't you? Anyway, uh, so there was that. There's one thing that I wanted to mention that wasn't in this article that I don't know if many other people caught. But the doctor at the beginning, when Wanda was going through her going through her labor, And, or no, he was checking up on her at the beginning. Oh, and there's another funny joke where he was talking about, they were like, how did this happen? And he's like, well, when a man loves a woman, that sort of thing. But he checked her out and she was doing fine, he said. But then he was leaving to go on uh, vacation. And Vision was like, where are you going on vacation? And and he said, "Uh, I'm off to Bermuda, baby. This is a really, really deep cut. And I don't know if it has any relevance on anything but we are dealing with magicians and sorcery and witchcraft potentially in this show. There is a line from the sword in the stone, the animated movie where at one point Merlin is just fed up with young Arthur's nonsense. And so he puts on his hat, he packs his bag and Arthur says, where are you going? And he says, I'm off to Bermuda, baby. Or he comes back and says, I, I just got back from Bermuda, baby. Something very, very similar. So here all these other people are online drawing, you know, when they put up their, their cork board with their red strings leading to this and this conspiracy and this tinfoil hat and this this person's related to that person, to this place, to this story arc. Uh, I'm over here thinking, are we about to get an introduction to a Merlin character in the MCU? Boy, wouldn't that be great? Uh, Most likely he's just a doctor and it's just a fun Easter egg. There were a couple other Easter eggs in there. There was the Hydra soak 
So they did the commercials in the first and second episode. There was the Toastmate 2000, and there was the uh, Strucker brand watches, uh, referencing, of course, Tony Stark and Baron Von Strucker, both people that had an effect on their lives. And Von Strucker worked for Hydra, and so obviously the Hydra Soak soap is is something representative of Hydra as well. I don't know if these commercials are going to continue, but I hope there are some really, really deep cuts and deep Easter eggs from these commercials that either give us more information about Vision, not Vision, about Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver, or hearken to things yet to come and act as kind of a a precursor, kind of a uh, foreshadowing of things yet to come in the universe. I think that would be great. So anyway, I'm just going to go through this list of things that were noticed. Uh, This one says, what's wrong with Herb? So Herb is the neighbor they met and he was trimming up his hedges and vision says, looks like you, you went a little far there and the guy's cutting through his wall with the hedge clippers. Now people online are saying that that is representative of the, citizens of Westview attempting to escape from Westview because they are of course being held captive there against their will. And, uh, he goes, Oh, I didn't, didn't notice. So there was another conversation that vision was having with Herb and Agnes, um, acting about how things were strange. And then they brought up, uh, Gertaline and said, you know, she, she doesn't even have a home here. And they were all still very happy and chipper about it, but they were kind of whispering and being very secretive as well. And then Agnes or Agatha Harkness, if we all recall, she rang her little bell on her bike and made some cute quip and then off they went. But it's, it's hard for me to tell if this series is hinting towards these people being trapped and either trying to maintain the illusion for Scarlet Witch, are they threatened by her or are they being manipulated and mind controlled in such a way that they, they, they can't outright say the things that they want to say. And several characters have already either alluded to or downright said that they were scared. They thought that Wanda could hurt them uh, in, in subtle or maybe even non-subtle ways. But we think that Agnes is still looking at Agnes through the lens of Agatha Harkness makes us think that she's, well, you know, she's up to no good in the neighborhood, so to speak. So uh, another, another thing that happened in there was another rewind by Wanda and it was when vision was was he was just he was putting together the things and he was like this doesn't make sense and this doesn't make sense and i'm not sure how we got from there to here and i don't remember these things and he was very concerned and again she moved time backwards back to the beginning of that conversation and then the conversation played out much much differently Uh, than it did the first time. And they just started talking about the naming of their, their boys, their twin boys, Tommy and Billy, 
who were born in this one. Will they disappear, being stolen away by Mephisto, and then later reappear to become Speed and Wiccan? Or will they just become young uh, teenagers uh, joining the Young Avengers as Speed and Wiccan? I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. Then there was that conversation that uh, Wanda had with Gertaline or uh, Monica Rambeau, as we know. And they were talking and she was talking about Wanda was like she was trying to remember herself. And she said that she had a brother. She had a twin brother as they were talking about her twins and Monica Rambeau. She brought up, she said, yeah, um, what was his name? Uh, Piterov? Pitero? Regardless, she started talking about her brother, Quicksilver, and how he was killed by Ultron. And then Wanda was like, what did you say? And she was like, nothing, let's talk about, you know, let's talk about you, let's talk about your kids. She's like, no, what did you say? And then the next thing we see is old uh, Gerdeline get blasted out of this force field that is protecting Westview right onto her butt. And then she's swarmed by like these guards, these these sword agents. Uh, so I'm hoping my big hope for this week's episode, today's episode. Oh, I'm so excited. I'm going to watch it here in a couple hours. Um is that we get more of the real world outside of Westview, outside of the sitcoms, outside of the movie fantasy that Wanda has created. We get a little bit more referential material to know what's really going on or so we can discover the secrets of Westview at the same time as the characters investigating Westview discover those secrets. Please. If you are watching WandaVision and you are as excited about this as I am, let me know. Let me know what your favorite part is. Let me know what your favorite piece of speculation is, whether it's it's that speculation that I have given you here today or whether it is speculation that you've read or seen somewhere on the Internet that I might not even know about. I want to be kept abreast of these things. I want the knowledge. I want the theories. I want, uh, I want this show just... To nail it so right that we get off to a wonderful start getting back into the MCU. But that's where I'm going to end today's show. Uh, hopefully you enjoyed the episode. And uh, if you did, you know, leave us a like on our Facebook page, our Twitter, on any of the any of the streaming platforms we're on. Leave us a review wherever you happen to listen to this. And if you want to talk to me about this WandaVision stuff or anything MCU related, please let me know because I love having these conversations. I love kind of taking those deep dives into these characters that I have admired since I was a small, small child. And <laughs> if you liked the episode, leave us a review on uh, Apple Podcasts as well. That's a good, good spot. I think my review is still the number one review up there. You guys can do better than me. Come on. You can, and you, you can make the algorithm think that we're something worth investing in. So go do that as well. If you would like to get in contact with the show, you can uh, find us at culture jacked on Facebook, on Twitter. You can also send us an email at culture.collective.x2 at gmail.com. 
And as always, uh, thanks for joining me here at the end of your week. I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful weekend. And stay tuned on Monday for the Monday Madness Show. Until next time, cheers. Cheers.